0: You know, so now I got two critical patients. I got to call for another rescue ambulance. I got one medic pushing narcan on this one, one EMT trying to do nasal narcan on this patient over here. You know, just how does
1: how does that happen? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things on and off the fireground. The views and opinions expressed are mine and those of the guests. Let's listen in. What's up my brothers and sisters? Today we sit down with Michael Caro. He's a 30-year plus veteran of the LA City Fire Department. He's a captain over there and We talk about firemanship, we talk about firefighting, we also talk about uh, some of the hobbies that we have, which is jiu-jitsu, and of all things, West Coast Swing Dancing. So you gotta tune in and listen to this, because it's a great conversation. Also, my brother Travis Schwartzlander joined us today to round out the conversation. Also a jiu-jitsu player, firefighter, and West Coast Swing Dancer. Check it out. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's just just jump off as informally as we can. Um, I'm sitting here with with two fellow firefighters, uh, Michael Carroll, LA city and, uh, Travis Schwartzlander, Travis Schwartzlander (laughs) tripping on my own tongue here and, uh, Zoolander. Yeah. Zoolander. (laughs) That's right. And, uh, the, the beauty of this conversation is I think you're going to be shocked at the, the, uh, level of firemanship and, uh, jujitsu and dance that we can get into. I will not be able to have any (laughs) uh, voice in the dance portion, but these two fellows, uh, Will certainly bring uh, bring new attention to what that means, and but uh, but but as we uh, but but by way of introduction, Michael, why don't you give me a little synopsis of who you are and what you're about? Um. Well, obviously, name Michael Carroll. I've been a
0: firefighter with uh, LA City Fire Department for the past thirty years. I uh, promoted captain a few years ago. I was an engineer for twenty years before that. Worked in a lot of busy areas of the city, and really have. Come to realize that my career is going to be over here in about four years.
1: Yeah, you were telling me earlier that you've uh, that you've entered into the drop.
0: I have entered into the drop. Mixed emotions because um, it's a big deal. You know, I remember just deal. as a kid thinking about what it's like to become a firefighter. And all of a sudden, 30 years has gone like that. Yeah. And I remember the old timers telling me that.
1: And and it's here. So, yeah. you know. Did you I, grow up in the L.A. area?
0: I did. I grew up in the L.A. area right around the corner from a fire station okay. where I I remember about Three three years ago, I went back to that station and worked as the captain. Where I think, man, twenty seven years ago, I was a rookie here, and my parents lived around the corner, so it was very interesting. Um, That's super cool.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And so, are you folks still in that area?
0: No, they they moved out. You know, my pops passed away a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. My mom's not too far from there. Um, But like you're talking about the jujitsu game, I've been wrestling since I was a kid. Wrestling, police, and fire world games. Actually had a charity grappling league where we raised money for families of police, fire, police, fire, military. Met tons of firefighters and police officers from around the world. Met this guy here, Travis. You know, at a dance event of all things. And of course, my firefighter buddies like dance. I go here, check out this video of me with this hot chick. <laughs> 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 then I ran it. Then I ran into Travis, a guy who's just kind of running in parallel lines with me. I'm just a, you know, a couple steps ahead of him. But uh, it's been awesome. Just been had a. Great opportunity to meet some really good
1: people. Nice. Well, Travis, uh, why don't you give us a little background on you? Uh,
2: okay. Um, so I've been with Phoenix Fire uh, 11 years now. Um, paramedic at uh, Fire Station 10 on Engine 10 on A-shift. Um, was I, I started, actually, my, my work experience with One Stop Nutrition and kind of found out this isn't what was going to make me happy the rest of my life. And fortunately, I had a bunch of uh, firefighters coming into one stop nutrition and, uh, they're like, Hey, what are you doing here? You have all the traits and characteristics that we're looking for in membership. And so, uh, I went on my first ride along with uh station seven and blessed to catch a house fire. So that that's a, that's a good way to set the hook. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I thought that's what we do every, every day. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, Oh my God, this it's is <laughs> it. This is it. Bye bye. One stop. Um, I've been fortunate enough to actually continue that relationship, so I do work for One Stop Nutrition on the side as well. I do education uh, for them. I train the people that buy One Stop Nutrition uh, franchises when they come into town. Um, I do all the supplementation and sales strategies with them. Oh, cool. So I still do that. But uh, yeah, so um, I came on with uh, 072 and uh, just kind of haven't looked back since. I mean, love every day still.
1: Nice. No. Nice. Well, it's funny. You sit at this table here. We've got quite the arc of, uh, of a firefighter's <laughs> career, you know, you know.
0: I'm old and crusty. He's young and yeah. still happy and excited. I mean, don't get <laughs> me wrong. I still love going to work. It's, it, yeah. it's awesome. Like they say, when you leave the job, you don't miss the circus, but you miss the clowns. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's well, right. likewise, you know, we were talking earlier about some things that are uh, similar across our agencies. And, you know, and I've heard the same comments from guys across other fire departments. And you go, uh, you know, different circus, same clowns. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's, mm-hmm. They're all the same. Or is it the same circus, different clowns?
0: It, it could be either way. Either way, way, right? Yeah. But it it <laughs> works <laughs> however you slice yeah, it. I'll accept, I'll accept that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh. It's funny. So, you know, so over the course of 30 years, you said, you know, you're not demoralized yet. You're not, you know, you're still enjoying it. And do you think that entering into the drop and, and looking toward your retirement suddenly it reinvigorated you?
0: Um, you know, the, the city of LA made a change in their pension program and I was going to, I was going to go in a drop around that time anyways, but it, I just went a little bit earlier because they had some changes and we don't have to get into that, but it was better for me and about 300 other guys that dropped that same week. Yeah. So it was a big, a big change, but I've, I, I've done a lot recently since promoting the captain. Um, so I teach fireground survival. I'm one of the primary instructors for fireground survival. And I actually took that when I was still an engineer. I wanted to become one of the instructors because realistically, you know, three things that get people in trouble on a fire, they talk about complacency, lack of communications, and also company continuity. And I admit openly that as an engineer for 20 years, I didn't check my breather every single day. I didn't do every single one of my, on the fire apparatus I did, but there were some times when I kind of let my personal stuff go to the side because, well, all figure, oh, that's never going to happen to me, right? Right. Um, but I knew that as an officer, my job was going to be fire tech, back in fire tech, and had to make sure that my breather obviously is my best friend as well as my, my um, firefighters with me. So I mm-hmm. went in there, and, and I put my 27 years to the side, and I said, oh, hey, wow. guys – I'm, I'm ready to do this. So it, me and another guy were the two oldest guys in the class, and we were the only engineers in the class. So we took smack from everybody, which was great. But I knew that as an officer, I needed to get tuned back up on my tools again. And it was awesome. So since that point moving forward, I've done that. and I do a lot of um, backgrounds and interviews. So I got into that, that I couldn't do as an engineer. So they do that as captains. Um, I help a lot you of mean, people. By that,
1: you mean like sitting on boards yeah. and things of that nature? Oh, yeah. right, on. sitting cool.
0: on boards. You know, we have this whole thing about – I don't want to get all you know politically and everything, but they talk about not just giving back, but part of the uh, you know our core values is positioning the department for the future. Hmm. And I've been very fortunate. Look, nobody gave me the job; I worked very hard for it. And if I can do something to possibly make the fire department better than when I leave, is to interview people that I feel are qualified and competent, good candidates. If I can sit in there and see somebody and do that and give them a good score because they've earned it, then great. Whatever happens after that point, I can't control, right? And we all, you know, know where that's going. But I try to do my part and pick good qualified candidates for the position of firefighter for the city. And then I also do the background portions of it too where somebody comes to us and I basically just collect information and just move it on. But it's amazing to see – people that have come on that have done amazing things you're like dude how come this guy's not hired somewhere already right and then i have some stories that people have come into me and i'm like oh dude <laughs> we won't talk about it here we'll talk about off air because it's kind of colorful information and i'm like what are you even doing here
1: right Stories that yeah, would what just, gave you the, the slightest idea that this would be the career for you. Right? Yes. Yeah.
0: And how you even got to this point, I have no idea. But it's sorry, but it's probably gonna stop right here. And then you just put the information down and then you know, they tell me some things and I'm getting information and they say, Well, what do you think? Do you think I'll be okay? And that's when I kind of go, oh, well, uh, my job isn't to pass judgment. All I do is gather information and I write it down. I hand it to the other guy and I walk away. Good luck. Shake their hand and they just, they kind of walk on, but we'll talk about some stuff off air. But <laughs> you,
2: you sat on boards, right, man? Yeah, I've sat on them a couple yeah. of times. It's where we actually met in a Edelman's interview class. Yeah, that's right. We oh, way day. I was sitting on the other side of the desk wanting this job. Um, I remember your
1: story. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, awesome. I'm never going to get hired. <laughs> <laughs> if that, if that story is what it takes, right? Um, it was funny. You're talking about the, uh, the house fire story.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I
1: tell that story a lot. Matter of fact, I, I, one of my early podcasts was, I just told that story. I called the Roy Moore fire. I don't remember what episode it is. You have to look it up if you're interested, but that experience was transformative to me. And the hard part, I think, and this is a hard part in any interview process is being able to talk about your experiences and put them on the table and, and, and share with, you know, this, this group of people, uh, why you should be in their presence, right? Like, why do you deserve to put on that same uniform and, and come to work with these people? And it's really hard to convey that. And so the, the interviews that go really well, people are able to articulate not only their story, but what they learned in that process. And I think that's such a critical piece. You know, it's not just, well, hey, I, because just like you said, there's guys who are like, how the heck this guy not get hired before? But we have guys on this job who are, you know, former you know, uh, professional athletes. We've got guys who are, you know, road scholars and, right. and, and academics and this wide variety of people with this broad talent base. And you go, dude, I'm just a, I'm just a kid. Yeah. <laughs> what have I done? I haven't, yeah. I haven't done anything yet. Right. Yeah. But, but if you can explain uh, what you've learned from your experiences, what you took away from it and then how you're going to apply that, it's, I mean, there's definitely a practiced art to that.
0: I uh So I teach a lot of guys. Some, my name's kind of gotten out there. I had a guy call me, I don't know, about a month ago, a guy I have not seen or spoken to for 25 years called me up. Hey, Carol, it's so-and-so. Hey, man. I'm like, who is this? I grabbed our book real quick, <laughs> and I'm flipping through the book to find, oh, yeah, hey, man, how's it going? All of a sudden, we're best buddies, right? And I knew why he called me because – his nephew was going through the process, uh-huh. I figured. So I'm getting calls from guys all over the place, from guys that I haven't seen. Um, and he told me he's got this kid going through. And I said, absolutely. The highest grade that I've actually ever given to anybody, obviously is a 100. The first one was one I gave to a guy with zero fire department experience. Sure. He was not an EMT. He was never been on a hack nothing. But he was able to relate. So we teach answer, bridge, relate no matter what you've done related to the fire service. And the questions now are obviously we can't ask a guy, Hey, you show up to the structure fire. We can't do that. Right. Right. You got to ask him can't kind go of, technical, right, right. Can't go technical. And this guy, he worked in a bank and he was a bank manager. Every answer he said related back to the fire service. Somehow his people um, skills, his management skills, his thought process. And I was like, Dude, this guy is freaking amazing.
1: And then, of course, I have the next guy comes in. Was he making those connection points for you? Yes. Like, he's articulating yes. It? Yeah. He
0: would, he, he made it so, like, I, we asked him a, a, a challenging question about, uh, tell me a time you, you, you were met with a problem and you wanted to quit, but you didn't. And he gives me an example of what happened at, at the, the bank. And then he said, but you know what? I know that as a firefighter, there are many times where I'm going to be hit with a challenge, but as a firefighter, I can't quit. Because the firefight, if I quit, people are going to get hurt or killed. So the training that I'll be able to see, and I was like, this guy's freaking amazing. And then the next guy that came in, I look at his interview process. I mean, his, what's um, called resume. resume? You know, 10-year camp crew guy, explorer, blah, 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 EMT. I'm like, oh, psh, this guy's going to get a hundred as soon as he walks through the door, right? He walks in. The first thing he says to me, how you going, Cap? And I'm like, oh, oh dude. <laughs> Not sir, nice to meet you. It's like he thought we were at the kitchen table, and I just sat there and watched this guy dig a hole deeper no. and deeper. Yeah. And I was actually embarrassed for the guy.
1: Some of the worst interviews I've seen are guys who are who are on the job, maybe in a different agency, and they want to come over to you know to Phoenix or whatever. And they walk in, and there's kind of this familiarity, like right. you know that I know that you know that I know, like we're in this together, and I'm right. Like, Sorry, dude. You got to speak to it, man. Like, yeah. And I've got a lady
0: here next to me who doesn't understand, you know, right. what a this is or a that is. And right. she's got no idea what an SOB guy was on a, re- whatever it was. And she doesn't, she's like, SOB, what's that? <laughs> you know I mean? All the terms that we use in every agency, I tell guys, you need to speak to the commonality of what it is. Yeah. It's not a 50, 55 year old chest pain. Whatever. It's a man who's having difficulty breathing and he had pain in his chest.
1: Right. Right? Plain English, man. Plain yeah. English, Plain, you know. Have you ever sat on board Travis? Have you? Had that? I haven't. No, no, not yet. So we need to. I would be, like you to. You, you should yeah. take that opportunity. We'll Absolutely. Pass, we'll pass this along to HR. Like yeah. that's Let's awesome. I applied for it this time. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Good. It's a really, it's a really good experience, and you know, I think it's as the responsibility we have as firefighters is. You said this to leave a legacy. I think it's hugely mm-hmm. important to find ways to do that, and you know, a lot of guys will. um Mentor other firefighters and yeah. and things like that, and they'll they'll come and do ride-alongs and 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 get kind of tuned up in the in the lingo and and get familiar with what the job is. And I think that's really important um, if we're looking to perpetuate, you know, high quality folks in the fire service. Yeah, you know, we have to invest in who those people are and bring and recruit actively, recruit and encourage people. Yeah, you know, develop them.
0: I agree with that. I think what happens is at least what I've seen too many times people are kind of enamored at the career of a firefighter and they're on the outside looking in. I actually had a guy who came to my station one day and he was a guy that was referred to me from somebody else. He showed up in his suit and his tie and he wants to have this practice interview and not even more than two minutes into it. We got to run, and it came in as an unknown medical problem. It was so. It was my engine company in a rescue? And I go, "Hey, you want to go with?" He's, "Are you serious? Yeah, jump on." So I threw him on the rig. I threw a brush jacket on him, and we're
1: pulling. You gotta out, hide that coat and tie. Yeah, I know you gotta <laughs> hide that coat, man.
0: So of course he gets out. He's completely drenched with sweat in his nice tie and shirt and everything. And so we get off, and there is a lady who is what do we call them, urban campers, whatever they were. This was a lady that I've been on probably 15 or 20 times in my district. She's got two cans of paint. One was a black one, one was a green one, and she was huffing. huffing oh, yeah. Two cans of paint out in front of a, a hardware store. And the guy stopped and looked, and I said, hey, bud, you want to be a firefighter? This is what we do. Yeah. And he just stood there, and I said, back up. He just. Lo- I never saw the guy again. Because too many people, are, like I said, they're enamored. They think we're you know, doing the stuff they see on TV or whatever. Yeah. We're dealing with a lot of things that 10, 15, 20 years ago, I didn't never I never thought we would be seeing these things. So it's crazy, but yeah. you know, there's still the awesome moments as well.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, you know, as our, the complexity of what we're asked to do by our communities has evolved. Right. And you know, the, the mental health and social services needs that exist in the community are, are just growing. Yeah. Usually, usually. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, <laughs> I, I think we're going to see a lot of change. You're going to be retired, long retired when this happens. But I think over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to see lots of changes in the fire service. And, you know, I would be completely out of my out of my league to, to speak to what those are. But I think you're going to see kind of uh, diversity in the way that we provide services. You know, when you talk about bringing a, you know, a big fire truck to a medical call, like, is that the most appropriate way? to deliver service. And I, you know, I don't have an answer for that, but I think it's, there's definitely some consideration for how we do business. And no, we've seen evolution just in, you know, since, you know, when I was a child and how things have changed in the fire service in that window of time, right? The last 40 years, things have evolved tremendously. Yeah. You know, even Detroit fire now provides EMS.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. You know, (laughs) I I remember talking to some, some of the old timer guys. Well, now I guess I'm an old timer or whatever, but, they never did ems
1: yeah it and wasn't then,
0: thing yeah and and the paramedic service that we had they weren't even sworn members they were two separate unions completely and then they brought the two unions together i mean we've had people that we've hired from other agencies i remember we brought over federal people and then we had emergency employee emergency um what do they call it emergency appointed paramedics people that All of a sudden, we're medics, and we needed medics, and then they became firefighters. And then you have people that go through the whole process. But the city of L.A. is so huge. It's like 464 square miles from the valley to the sea to the mountains. And the city of L.A. is actually trying to address, you know, huge homeless population in L.A. They see things like downtown by Fire Station 9. Um, The mayor, I saw something he wrote out down there. They have like the bubonic plague and rats and scabies and fleas because— the amount of homeless that's down there. So they're changing. Think about it. You send a truck company and a pump and an ambulance for a guy on the corner who's not feeling well. So now what they're doing in other areas, they have a thing that's called a, there's the fast response vehicle. And there's also um, like a nurse, a nurse response unit where it's a firefighter and a nurse who can actually go and see patients. So you think about the safety of the public Instead of having to have all those huge fire engines go down there, now you just have an ambulance. Right. So it minimizes fuel, yeah. personnel, as well as exposure.
1: Right. Well, you, you know, when you start kind of stretching that out and you think about the the cost of an engine, right, and all oh, those yeah. miles you're putting on it. Sure. And then the out-of-service time, right? Should this apparatus be available for the for the fire? Right. Right? Or what have you. I want to insert the, the critical incident here right. versus, you know, not to diminish the medical call. It is important. But is that the best mechanism for delivery? Right, right for service delivery. Now it's it's an important question to ask because if we're going to maintain uh, sustainability in the fire service in the way that we be able to serve our communities appropriately, you know, it's not like you know funding is uh, just flowing out of their ears, right? So it's yeah. you know there's there's issues with funding costs, et cetera, and um, you know it's you know so here's to to take this back to the firehouse. I think where it, we as here, let me ask you this. As a company officer in your fire station, I have my opinion on this, but how do you think or how do you feel our day to day operations affects our ability, that end of it the, the financial end of it so do you
0: want my captain 's yeah. interview question answered <laughs> or my reality, <laughs> my reality question um, you, you know realistically, I, I for, personally feel that look there are things we can do at the station level to minimize costs right. Number one, from keeping guys fit and healthy to minimize exposures from injuries, not only from themselves, obviously, but from other things, whether it's lifestyle, um, training, but even the simple things that we do when we go out and we treat people, most of our problems that I've seen that have been financial, um, will come from mistreatment of a patient mm-hmm. and a lot of this perception. So I tell my guys every morning, it's kind of a joke. I go, come on, fellows, who never takes a day off safety and my relief, but that's another story altogether, you know, so we kind of laugh about that, but. I tell them, look, be nice to each other, be nice to the people, take them to the hospital, and we'll have no problems. Right. And so that is, at least in the city of LA, where there have been the most complaints and litigation is from guys who, and I totally get it, um, that are overworked. They're tired. They try to have a good attitude, but sometimes when you're physically exhausted, and yes, this is the career that we chose, sometimes your fuse is a little bit shorter than it normally is. Right.
1: Well, there's a, the, the, the phrase compassion fatigue comes oh, yeah, right yeah. to mind. Yeah, I've heard it's that, a, and it's a legit, yeah. real thing. Yeah, right. And you start—you you mentioned you know guys working long hours and and being uh, physically exhausted. Well, the emotional exhaustion comes with that, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's a the expo the risk exposure that we incur, you know, personally, physically, um, is really, really huge, and organizationally there's risk as well, right? So some of us don't care as much about that when we're coming to work on a daily basis, right? That's not our big concern, but you know, you have to, you have to preserve the, uh, know preserve the part of the garden that you can tend to right and so what can you do to impact the the uh the greater budget well take care of your part of the garden mm-hmm. you know take care of your fine your station and your and your apparatus and your and your fitness you know take care of yourself take care of your people yeah yeah. take care of your guys in the firehouse yeah. and, and uh, you know f- be thoughtful about the way and when you get out on the street if guys are getting short say <laughs> Send them back to the truck. Yeah, <laughs> give them a minute to re- to re- yeah. reflect. <laughs> yeah. So my my safe word is blueberry pancakes.
0: <laughs> in case you guys want to know that. So we've talked about that. Hey, if things are really kind of getting crappy in an incident where someone's getting violent or a knife or a gun or something, my word is blueberry pancakes, and that's just kind of the joke about it because guys are like, oh, and they know it's just time to go. We'll try to calm a word, but I've had guys and I'll go, hey, you want some blueberry pancakes They're outside on the rig? And the guy'll just be like. Yep. Got it. Sure. Well, because, you know, you get a guy. I'm not, I don't know how you guys work your platoon duty, but we work normally 10, 24 hour shifts a month with a day off in between and then four days. So we're in a, we're on a 56 hour work week. So it's mm-hmm. on 24, off 24, on 24, off 24, on 24, then off for four days. Mm-hmm. But if you pick up an overtime day in between, now all of a sudden you're there 72 hours. Yeah. yeah. And now I pick up another overtime date. Now I'm there for 120 hours. Okay. And so if you're on a busy engine company or rescue, and you've been up – like I worked the other night. I went in for 24 hours. This is a regular – it was an overtime day, thank goodness. Um, we had pretty slow day, but between midnight and 6 is how we kind of register how your day was. I had four runs between midnight and 6. Mm-hmm. So my whole morning the next day of getting up, going to the gym, doing my thing, was shot. Yeah. When my relief came in at 6, I go, hey, man, this is what we did. I got to go – I went home and I crashed out for like three, four hours. But if you don't get that opportunity the next day, you're still working and you're on an ambulance and you've had three after and now it's six thirty in the morning and you can't sleep in.
2: And
0: and you're going to a convalescent hospital or somebody who's a who, you know, is a drunk. You've been on 10 times before, whatever. It's tough for guys and gals to be like, hi, Mrs. Smith. How can the fire department help you? Because we unfortunately, I believe our job is. We're not there to diagnose. We're there to take the patient from position A to position B, and that's it. I like to, if I see a problem, and a lot of times I'll rely on my medics for this, if it's elder abuse or if it's somebody who is, you know, we always find them, you know, they have an alcohol problem. We'll try to take them to a facility that... Where they will be helped with that because otherwise they go to the ER. I'm going to be on them again another three hours because Turn they just, the right they, back just, the they just kick them out.
1: Turn and burn. Yeah.
0: Right. So again, that's my little part for us to actually make a difference and actually help somebody better themselves. We can't want it more than they do, but I truly feel that's our responsibility. Look, fellas, this is what they pay us to do and show the compassion to try to help that person better themselves yeah. because who knows what
1: they're going to do next you know so yeah. that's, that's my well, you, don't, you don't know anything about running calls after
2: midnight nothing <laughs> nothing we're we're conditioned at 10 when people come in and they're like oh how was the night and we're like it was good we only ran four who else says that after midnight <laughs> you, you know guys are
1: totally whipped puppies yeah. at this point and you guys you guys have Beat experienced down. it you uh-huh. guys were there for a while so yeah your guys's light show kept waking me up yeah oh, i know yeah. <laughs> you don't
2: know, do the trucky rollover exactly that's right how many uh How many runs or calls do you guys average at your station, Michael?
0: Um, I'm kind of in the West End of the San Fernando Valley. So we have days where we'll have five and then the next day we'll have 15. It's just really, really varied. But then I'll go work an overtime day at another station where it's like I'll look at the journal. They had 15. Then today I'll have 17. But I'm like, thank goodness I go back to my station where it's a little bit slower, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, But the city of L.A., we don't have a no-send category. So when someone picks up the phone and calls calls 911, they will get a resource. We can't, unless we're like in a downgraded mode or if there's some major emergency, they will get a resource. Okay. So it's either comes in as unknown fire problem, engine only, you know, by yourself, no information. I mean, I've been on people that have called 911 and then it came in as an electrical problem. We get there and a lady can't turn her TV off with her remote control, right? <laughs> but they're sending an engine company for that. yeah. You know, and then I call Metro and I go, hey, who screened this call? Well, the dispatchers unfortunately have to follow protocol too, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, hey, just for
1: down. a point point of clarity, when you say Metro, you're talking about your alarm room, your dispatch y- yeah, center. Yeah, our dispatch center. Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah, Metro dispatch yeah. center.
1: Well, uh, uh, to your point, we have those same conversations, right? In our alarm room, we, bless their hearts, man, they have protocols they got to follow, and you know, back in the day, um, you had to have a minimum EMT certification to work up there, oh. so they had this foundation. Um, and that is no longer the case now they use like a dispatch protocol, which you know, because it's a f- rigid protocol has some inherent flaws. and um you know I've you know never had the opportunity to work up there, and you know, God willing, I never do. yeah, um, but uh,
0: it takes a very special person. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I am not that person. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever that qualifies as, I ain't that guy. but so I so I have a lot of compassion for those folks, yeah, and um, that's a that is and, a tough job, but I also have a lot of questions and um because. Because you end up on these calls and you're like, what in the heck? How, how did this come in and turn into an emergency? Right. You know, which would require this resource to be dispatched. Um, but you know, like, just like you guys, we don't have, uh, we have no, uh, no clause for not sending. We send somebody, you know, go figure it out. Yeah. You know, and that, and that being said, you know, not too long ago we had, um, one of our companies got dispatched and this I'm sure happens frequently everywhere, but got dispatched for an unconscious person and they get there and it's a dead guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Pretty unconscious. All right. Yeah, he's, he's mostly off to the next. Is landing. he dead or just mostly dead? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's the way things come in. There's definitely some miscommunication on the on the front end of these mm-hmm. calls for sure.
0: The last one I had that was really kind of medically that was weird was we got it engine only. So I was on a paramedic engine company. We didn't get a rescue with this. Normally we'll get a rescue with us. It was engine only. Unknown medical problem. Person slumped over the wheel. Okay, so we come rolling up. Guy slumped over the wheel. Overdose on heroin, you know, agonal breathing, just like one every like, it seemed like every 15 minutes, but you know, he was like barely had the whole big snoring thing going. And so there's his girlfriend who's walking around the car and hey, what happened? So we get him going, I call for a rescue. You know, they give him the Narcan, started the whole thing. And about two minutes later, she goes into basically the same thing, passes Uh out. And we got this by ourselves. You know, so now I got two critical patients. I got to call for another rescue ambulance. I got one medic pushing Narcan on this one, one EMT trying to do nasal Narcan on this patient over here. You know, just how does how does that happen when yeah. normally you get a trip and fall and you get 10 task forces and a helicopter and a boat and a couple of horses <laughs> for a stubbed toe? But now this, I got two critical patients and I go by myself. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, some yeah.
1: inherent flaws, I guess, in, yeah. so, in the way this stuff works sometimes. Yeah. All this fire talk makes you want to talk about jujitsu. When did uh When did you find yourself getting into jits? So, as a
0: kid, I did martial arts and all that stuff, and my parents wouldn't let me play football as a kid. My mom worked, of course, at an orthopedic surgeon's office, so all these kids coming in with busted collars and bad knees and everything or collarbone, I mean. And so my parents wouldn't let me play football. So I got into wrestling at a really young age, and I remember it was 1996, about the year the UFC first came out. <clears throat> And a lot of guys knew that I wrestled at a high level. I wrestled in the U.S. Nationals and tried to wrestle in Olympic trials and do all that stuff, and I was wrestling freestyle and doing it while I was already on the job. So 96, first UFC comes I'll out. How old
1: were you when you got on the job?
0: 21. Wow, nice. Yeah, 21. And so um, this one guy invited me to go to this class. He said, "It's yeah, it's like this jujitsu thing. You should come check it out. I'm like, all right, I'll check it out. It's we like were, wrestling, right? Yeah, yeah. So we wore camouflage pants, wrestling shoes, and a T-shirt. I'm like, this is amazing i'm totally gonna be kick-ass at this right (laughs) so it was actually in a office building in burbank this it wasn't an actual school so it was an office building we pushed all the desks aside and really cool guys all dressed like me i'm like this would be pretty rolled out the mats and the instructor was like this former military guy and it was called fast which stood for force anti-assault survival tactics i'm like This is going to be cool. I'm going to be able to kill people in like five minutes, right? Not (laughs) a big deal. Sounds awesome. So he's showing techniques. I knew nothing about submission grappling. Now, wrestling I can do. High crotch, takedown, fireman's outside single, all that stuff – no big deal. So he showed, I remember it was an Americana. I remember he showed that the first time. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. So after the end of the class, like, okay, we're going to kind of do some takedowns and go for submission. I'm like,
1: You're like, oh, welcome to my world. Yeah, I'm
0: like, come on fellas. So I am just jacking guys up, taking them down, but I couldn't submit it. I remember trying to submit a guy with a Kimura uh, or an Americana while he, I was in his guard. I was trying to do the whole thing, you know, and I'm like, oh, it's not working. It's not working with her. So then the guy goes, hey. uh, why don't you go with Josh over there? I'm like, Psh, I'm gonna freaking jack this kid up. He weighed about a buck sixty. I was one ninety. Like, all right, man, let's go. Remember I snapped him down outside uh single, picked it up, go to slam him down. Before I hit the ground, the window shades are already closing. He slapped a choke on me before I was like, Ho oh, oh, ho oh, ho lucky, <laughs> lucky. Well, after about the fourth time, <laughs> Of him doing like all sorts of crazy stuff to me. I'm like, oh, excuse me, where do I sign up? Yeah. And that's how I kind of started doing it. You know, I saw that this kid, 160 pounds, was just jacking my stuff up. Wow.
1: He does, that sounds like a fairly common story. Oh, that's
0: yeah. Right? Yeah.
2: What, Travis, how about you? Mine was very similar, except my 150 pound kid had one leg. Oh. Yeah. So it's, he's, a, he's a local, known name, um, Matthew Betzel. He, he's also one of the first amputees to fight MMA. So uh-huh. I had wandered into, I was kind of the same way. I was uh, enticed by the UFC. I had done Taekwondo and Muay Thai. So I already had my black belt in Taekwondo. I already had five years of Muay Thai. High school sports took over. And then after high school sports, I didn't go anywhere and didn't get any scholarships, blew out my knee, looked for something competitive. And the next thing was, I want to do with that. Royce Gracie guys doing because <laughs> I thought that was so amazing so I found a place um, called Cannon Fighting Systems and I walked in there and just really humble just you know Matt's kind of a dirty dingy kind of almost dungeon kind of yeah. grassroots uh, jujitsu and submission grappling place and Think I go Napoleon, in there. Think
0: Napoleon Dynamite yeah
2: yeah <laughs> right. absolutely yeah Rex Quando came Kwondo. up and met me and told me to grab his wrist. Right no um, like this yeah, other wrist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I go in there and I, uh, uh, the guy who is there, his name's Bill Cameron. He's also kind of a local, uh, legend guy. He said, Hey, go ahead and, uh, go and train with Matt over there. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, you guys got one leg. Okay. Whatever. So I did it. And this ankle pick's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I got my takedown two points. Yeah. I didn't even know it was two points at the time, but, uh, so in five minutes, I think he choked me very similar he choked me like seven eight times um the majority of them was with his stump like he he had a (laughs) modified triangle where he would go over the back and to close the triangle he would put the stump in your trach and then bite down with his legs like a rubber guard oh man it it was it was a go-go plata before it was a go-go yeah Yeah. it was amazing and i was i was the same way i was like where do i sign up this is magical very this is
1: hogwarts what is this place (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. How about My yours? Friends? Me? Um, you know what's weird is, uh, back in 07, uh, I'll throw a name out here because nobody will know it, but, uh, Santino Novelli, you'll know. Oh, he yeah, I love him. He and Santino. I were working together at station 39, That's you right. know, dingy, nasty dump is where uh, Fireground Fitness kind of got its initial legs. We do all kinds of training out in the bay and it was disgusting armpit. But, um, I walk out there one day and he's wrestling around with a pool noodle. And he's got this pool noodle and he's arm barring it and doing things to it. And I'm like, hey, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> Do we need to call in a well check on yeah, you? Like, what is happening <laughs> right now? And he goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm training for Pan Am's. And I'm like, oh, what's that? <laughs> okay. And he's like, well, you know, Jiu Jitsu explains the whole thing to me. And I said, well, you know what? I go, I'm not doing anything. I go, I'll, I'll be your, I'll wrestle with you for a minute. And, um, we didn't have mats or anything. We had the hard rubber gym mats. Like, oh, yeah. It was horrible. And, um, so I, I know nothing about grappling. So I, I, the only thing I've ever seen was like that, a neutral position for wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, why don't we just start like that? So <laughs> I get in the kind of turtle. <laughs> so you're
0: like, here, just take my back right here. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So knowing
1: nothing, I get in like a turtle position and he, you know, takes the, he takes full advantage and has me in a rear naked choke in like, uh, under 10 seconds right, right like just right. in a heartbeat and he weighs 50 pounds less than me right little guy and uh and i'm like whoa uh, what the hell was that <laughs> so he proceeds to show me a handful of things and then and, and then we uh, a couple of years later we part ways and go uh, years later i'm listening to joe rogan i'm listening to jocko podcast and these guys are like you need to do jiu and i swear they were talking directly mm-hmm. to me and i'm like Yes. Where have I heard of jujitsu before? And I'm like, ah, yes. Station 39, Santino Novelli, rear naked choke. <laughs> right. Um, and so I look up the local gym and uh, I call over there and the one of the owners or the principal owner of the gym that's right next to me is a firefighter that I met when I was a booter back in the olden days. Um, and he's like, rain. Oh my gosh. I haven't talked to you in a hundred years. You got to come train. And I'm like, Why wouldn't I? I'm like, tell me why I should. And he's like, I got a thousand reasons. Come to the gym. I'll show you. That's awesome. (laughs) And that was, that was it. I I showed up and got my head kicked in for a couple of weeks and I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm, I like it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, I think most guys do. It, It takes a very special person to kind of. Continue on that journey because, like, just like the dance thing, yeah. the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know.
1: Yes. And it's, yeah. like,
0: it's like endless, the, the knowledge. And, like, when I think I know something, another guy goes, hey, try it this way. I'm like, oh, it's so simple. Why didn't I think about that? You know, and there's so mm-hmm. many guys out there. And people ask... You know, how come guys, they want to have that look? You know, they're they're tattooed and they said whatever. I go, dude, I've had my butt kicked by some of the nicest guys in the entire world. Nerds. Nerds. Total nerds that will choke you and snap you in half and then they'll give you your hand or their hand, I mean, to help you up. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. You know? <laughs> so it's awesome. No hard feelings. Yeah, no hard feelings. Yeah. Can I take you to lunch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it, it really is. It really is cool. And then you recognize the... I think it's really important to recognize like that you are, you are very vulnerable yes. and mm-hmm. when you realize how that there's, there's some, some technique to this, you, you know, you have this, you know, I'm a fairly big guy and I, for years the Marine Corps taught me that I could crush somebody's soul in a heartbeat. Right. And so I walked around for a long time thinking that I was just a killer in disguise. Right. But you know, going in there and, and, getting those first couple of weeks on the mats and realizing that I, whatever little, what strength I have or what little skills I thought I had were merely interesting. Yeah. And that yeah. the, you know, the, the greater lesson is that there's technique. And if you learn that technique, then you can apply strength. Then you can actually do something. Yeah.
0: Well, that isn't, that's kind of how it all started, right? How it was the whole thing about the art is how a smaller guy can beat a more powerful guy mm-hmm. with technique. Right. And, That's why I love watching some super matches. You know, what's his name? Little guy, uh, Marcelo Garcia.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: you see him. I was actually at the Pan Am's in LA in the diamond and he fought Rico Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah. And I, that was the first time I'd ever seen that. And he's this little tiny guy against this big Goliath guy.
2: I remember that.
0: And he took his back and he did something that was really kind of chicken shit. Can I say that? Sorry. Sure. He had it. He had, yeah, sorry. He had his back and he just went, boom oh, yeah. and jumped down and crushed, crushed him. Him. Boom, everybody booed but marcelo garcia just kicked this guy but yeah. made this guy look like a like a fool in front of all of his own people yeah. and i was like that's the perfect example of what this art really is mm-hmm. how a little guy can do that can be a yeah. bigger guy
2: what why do you guys think that there is such a parallel between you know firefighters and jiu-jitsu i mean everyone from like Stepe and chris lytle to i mean oh, yeah. even our own like jesse forbes i mean it seems more and more i meet firefighters especially the younger guys they do jets it's yes yeah. well, what do you guys
1: think it is yeah stop knocking on table. stop yeah. being the, table. <laughs> <at> the door <laughs> uh, I have my opinion I want to hear yours I don't know I don't know it's a I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it mm-hmm. I think about it you know like I'm a you know a one-stripe blue belt and three-ish years into my journey mm-hmm. and I, I think about you know what is it that attracts it and part of me I don't know. I'm, I'm formulating my thoughts on it kind of like right now. Cause it's one of those things that, um, is a good question to ask. I think it's the, a couple of things. I think it's the camaraderie. Yeah. I think that, and I'll say it just like this. I think men need to do battle and need to do hard things. Yeah. And in the, in today's life, uh, our lives are pretty easy mm-hmm. and we're not challenged very often. So, getting on the mats and, and putting, you know, doing a, an exercise, a, an art form that you're within an inch of your life somewhat, some yeah. Time mm-hmm. at least you feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and knowing you, you putting your, you know, you're, you're, you're doing this thing with another human being and you're trusting with that other person. And I think there's such, that is such a connection point with fire department mm-hmm. and with fire service in general. Like, you know, when I go on, you know, I remember having some really uh, hairy calls and afterwards, we're like, look at each other. I'm like, whoa, that was a bonding moment, man. Yeah. Going through that heavy stuff is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And draws you closer together. That's I don't know, that's my my knee-jerk thought on it. Um,
0: I think that I will concur with a lot of that. The camaraderie thing for me is huge because guys, when we bond like that, like you do in the fire station, it's hard to explain to somebody from the outside. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you? Like I love those little memes where it says what people think I do when I go to jujitsu, <laughs> and then what I really do when I go to jujitsu. Right? Um, it is something, and you do really gain a second family. Yeah, you know. And yeah. I've, i fortunately, I've trained at a lot of schools, and every time that I've gone, there guys have been really welcoming. Um, I went to Australia for a dance event. And went to a jiu-jitsu school there. And those guys like, hey, welcome, welcome. And I think as a firefighter, we kind of live with that. And we really like that whole bonding thing. Mm-hmm. And then also I agree with you with the whole testing yourself. It takes a lot for a man or woman to really put themselves in a position of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they say, jiu gets you comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's like I say, when I went to firegrounds, when I went to be an instructor for fireground survival, I knew I had to check myself. I was like, ooh, I'm a little rusty on this. I better check it out. And that's, I think, why a lot of people do it. They're like, ah, oh, I really want to do this to better myself. And a lot of people stay away from it too, because you got to dig deep. And there are a lot of people that don't even know what the term dig deep means. Mm-hmm. You've been an athlete, you're an athlete. I have people that come in the job that are what they've done before. They like worked at a Starbucks. And in high school, they, didn't play sports or whatever so i think the whole sports thing and really digging deep is a good soul finder mm-hmm. for a lot of people and then when you yeah. see people make that transition of like they've they've found their chakra you know they're like yeah. i found it you're like that's a new person you know they've yeah. really discovered themselves yeah. so that that's my take that's yeah.
1: just me what about you travis
2: yeah. um i agree with all those points um that's i also as you should. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> captain, captain. <Yes. laughs> Please go on. Yeah. Enough about you. Let's talk Thank about you. you. <laughs> uh, I, one of the things I really like about it too is um, when, when it is high stakes on this job, uh, there, there's a lot on the line. And it is high pressure. And we have to make you know very critical decisions very quickly. I think that also in jiu-jitsu, you, you kind of get that pressure. I mean, you're like, I can feel the tunnel closing. I either need to tap. Or I need to find a way out. But I get I get some, I guess, practice from there to learn how to remain calm in shitty situations, mm-hmm. you know, which then also stimulates my mind to uh, when that happens in the fire department. Um, I also like to translate over to where in jujitsu, I'm like, man, if I just keep doing this and and stay up on this training or this technique or this guard or this takedown, I'm going to become more um, proficient at it. And it, that translates over into the fire department for me as well. And so I think the way I go about just being a professional firefighter is also the way I go about doing my jujitsu. So I think like, um, if I were just doing, you know, a hobbyist in jujitsu, but not trying to teach or not trying to have a higher level that it wouldn't be as appealing to me, but jujitsu is appealing to me because it's high stakes. And so is this job. So it keeps me sharp for both. So that's that's one of my big things, and why I see that parallel running. You know, yeah,
0: that's like uh, a yeah. big emotional intelligence parallel you <laughs> kind of put together there. Because re- realistically, that is, yeah, I mean, they're the same thing. It's like. It's not, you're gonna, not going to die in jujitsu, but well, you can, Right. but we take our, ourself to the point. Like they say, we have a big statement at our training center that says, train as if your life depends on it because it does. And that was made famous by one of our old school, big chiefs a long time ago. And it's true, right? If you don't go out and train, you kind of lose yeah. it, right? You use it, yeah. lose it. Same with jujitsu. It's like, I haven't trained in it's probably been a couple of weeks cause we've been traveling. I go back and I'm like, Oh man, how did I get rusty mm-hmm. so fast? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I feel like I'm a step behind by a guy who a couple of weeks ago I was, you know, kicking his butt. Now all of a sudden I'm like, Oh man, this guy's got, he's been more consistent.
1: Yeah. Well, he's been training and you have it. Yes. Shows. <laughs> and it shows. Yeah. There's a, um, uh, back in the day I used to race triathlons and I had a, a, a friend of mine teach me how to swim. And when we're out there to learn how to swim, she was talking about feeling the water and over time I began to understand like when you put your hand in the water and you begin to pull back, you can feel the water flowing through and around your hand as you're drawing that stroke back and that and then the position of your body in the water. Matters. Uh, you can feel yourself getting slippery as you kind of streamline your body, versus you know when I first start swimming, you're kind of square in the pool, <laughs> right. very barge like, versus turning to your side and lengthening out, and you get very slippery and you kind of slipstream into the water, right? right. So similarly in jujitsu, there's a you gain a feel for how people's pressure is, for their energy, and then, you know, a feel for where you are and how you're going to move. And I find myself like, like, we just got back from a vacation, which was amazing. Um But, but coming back from that vacation, when I got on the mat, I'm like, uh, uh, I felt awkward, yeah. and a yeah. little bit cumbersome. I put yeah. my gi on, it was suffocating me. You know, Um there is a certain amount of feel that comes with that. And it's, uh you know, almost like, well, it's just a very, very visceral and physical thing, I think, that they experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you do lose that edge when you take some time away.
0: Yeah. Now, if we go no-gi, that's a different story. That's my that's my own backyard. I'm okay with that. We put that <laughs> gi on me like, I just learned this joke last week and that guy got me in. That's not right. <laughs> I should have listened in class.
1: <laughs> well, let me ask you this. So tell me, um, I was, when I started thinking about flow state and I started thinking about the feel for it, I immediately think about, you guys, and dancing. And um, so I, I, we got to talk about the elephant in the room. I was <laughs> Absolutely. Just, you are visiting Arizona not just to do this glorious podcast. You are visiting Arizona to participate in a dance competition. Yes. So t- to tell us, what is that? What do you got going on, man?
0: So my wife, um, when we first met, long it's been 11, 12 years already. When we first met, she told me that she did this dancing thing. I'm like, yeah, great. You go have fun. That sounds cool. You go for it, whatever.
1: I'm going to go choke some fools. Yeah, I'm going to go <laughs> choke some fools out.
0: So she was telling me about it, and I know she was going out a lot, doing some things. And we went one night to a country bar where they were doing West Coast Swing, which is what we do. And they were doing line dancing, <coughs> all kind of stuff, whatever. And I was just kind of checking it out. But get that dog. Um, fast forward a couple of years. I was doing a charity MMA and grappling event we can talk about that later but I was with a group of guys about 30 guys from Florida Texas and I think a team from here from Arizona and we went to the same place where I went the first time with my wife and I tell these guys, oh yeah, it's just some chick I'm dating, you know, she's doing some dancing stuff, whatever, and we get there. And she's out there country two-stepping and West Coast swinging. And all the guys are like, hey man, you need to go, d- how come you're not doing that? Hey, look what the, that guy is doing to your girl out there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh man, I, this was a mistake. <laughs> I never should have done this. And they were just dogging me the whole time. And why don't you go do that? I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I have no clue, you know? So, but as I'm looking, I'm like, Okay, that guy I'm gonna choke out. I'm gonna break that guy's leg. <laughs> that guy I'm gonna snap his neck. You know, because these guys and they're just not doing. Now that I look at it, they're not doing anything inappropriate. It's nah. part of the dance. It's it's basically the way way I describe it is, it's jujitsu standing basically, right? Jujitsu standing yeah, I
2: agree with ah, to that.
0: music, creativity. I agree with except you get to usually do it with a with a pretty partner. You know, your partner's really mm-hmm. cool and, and fun.
2: Smell a lot better. Smell a lot better. <laughs> way
0: better. And no. they're not trying to hurt you,
2: mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
0: But it's. Um, I kind of approach it like a sport. There's social dancing, like there's social jujitsu. And then there's competitive dancing, like there's a competition tournament and you train differently for, for both. So when I started dancing at first, I only wanted to do it with my wife. And then she says, no, 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 you have to dance with everybody. And I said, no, 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 I only want to, do it to learn to dance with you. And the first event I went to was in Los Angeles. I'm sitting in a chair, just minding my own business and they're getting ready to start an all-star.
1: And you were there as a spectator.
0: It was supposed to go. I went to go and learn at a social dance. And at these events, they do workshops during the daytime mm-hmm. and competitions and then social dancing till all hours of the morning. But I remember I'm sitting in this chair and they're getting ready to do all star, which would be about a Brown belt, brown belt about a Brown yeah. belt level of dancing. And they're calling all these these all star dancers to come dance, and I'm just sitting there picking my nose. And this girl comes over to me and says, "Hey, will you help me come one more up real quick? I'm up next." And I looked at her, and I I I didn't know what to say. For the one time in my life, I had no words that would. I didn't even know what language she was speaking to me in. Right? <laughs> and I looked at her like this, and she goes, "No, no, it's okay. I'll, 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 we'll, we'll dance later." And I, I looked at my my girlfriend at the time. I go, "What did that?" What did that lady just say to me? What did she want? Because she spoke a totally different language. And then she said, well, she's getting ready to go compete. And she wanted you to dance with her to help her warm up. I'm like, ah, okay. I waited five years of dancing before I walked up to that lady at a dance event. Now, I I got into it pretty heavily competing and training and everything. And I said, you want to dance? Yeah, let's dance. So we danced. had a really good time. Did you tell her the story? I I did. (laughs) I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but about five years ago, blah, blah, blah. And you, at, I asked you and she goes, oh my God, I remember that <laughs> because I, my eyes must look like, you know, like, like, uh, what is that You're, Casper?
1: Oh, go, go, go. You just froze. I
0: froze. And then we had an amazing dance. And so, yes, that's why I'm here. It's a dance. And this is how I met this guy right here yeah. too, was that actually at a dance event in Denver. Denver. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, there's another jujitsu guy. I got a little cauliflower here wearing a jujitsu <laughs> shirt. I'm like, he's probably, hey, what's up, bro? Hey, what's up, bro? You know, next thing you know, we're just like buds and just hanging yeah. out and riding the world
1: on parallel lines which makes it pretty awesome that's That's crazy crazy. so what got you into dancing Travis?
2: um so i had danced like uh freestyle hip-hop all my life um before we lived here i lived in uh sacramento california and it was all during like the late 90s so like hammer and vanilla ice and you know the hip-hop revolution was coming up so i was like yeah i want to be able to dance so i did that and then uh kind of left it alone did martial arts did sports but still enjoyed dancing like at high school and stuff, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it wasn't until I started doing um, bar country swing um, here in the Valley. And then I got really good at uh, bar country swing really quick. So probably in about a year, I was one of the top people here in the state. And I noticed that there there wasn't anywhere else to go. It's it's a, It's a bar dance. It's not taught. There's no professional organization. There's no uh conventions or competitions. It's just done strictly in a bar with partners to music, drinking beer. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Great time. Hey, how do I sign up for that? Yeah. Great time. But um I wanted to be challenged and I remember watching a video of uh Jordan Frisbee. These names won't mean anything to the listeners, but to Jordan Frisbee and Jessica Cox and, and I watched this dance and I was like, what is that dance? And someone told me and I was like, that's cool. So how long they work on that routine. And they're like, no, they went up and they drew each other's name and they had no idea what the song was. And they danced that dance. I'm like, how did they know to do what those, to do? Yeah. Yeah. Th- that styling. And, and they did it at the same time. How did he know the music was going to stop there? And how come they shadowed each other in 0.5 second? And they're like, that's just the beauty of West coast. I'm like, I want to do that so that's what i did with that and just like uh, michael was talking about there's this crazy parallel that runs also with jiu-jitsu and um west coast swing dancing all about like the sensibility um the technique how hard we train and actually practice these moves and timing and technique and teamwork and all these different things these elements of these dance and uh even to the levels just like he was talking about all-star brown belts. so you have uh, newcomer novice that's your white belts uh intermediate blue belt and then uh advanced and all star brown belt and then champions are black belts so i mean exactly the amount of levels is the exact amount of belts it's it's, it's pretty crazy mm. but uh yeah so i was uh we were at that event in denver and i was wearing some jiu jitsu shirts and we kind of gave a nod and then the last day we were eating and i had a firefighter shirt on he came up and just said hey and started shooting the shit and He's just like, yeah, I'm a fireman. I'm like, whoa, I'm a fireman. Whoa, I do jujitsu. Whoa, I do jujitsu. It's like, it was pretty
0: funny. It's, yeah. like, it's like I found my my brother. You know, just just out of all the places that we could have been. Yeah, it's it's interesting to to see that. And there are a lot of people that do jujitsu that are former boxers mm-hmm. or high level jujitsu people yeah. or judo.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just another transition because it's a sport you can do. The only challenge about it, realistically, and that, like we were talking about today, is. Mm-hmm. With the judging. So yeah. kind of like like a football team or baseball team, basketball team, anything where there is a competitive, you have an objective goal. I get more points than you, I win. You get more points than yes. me, you win. The judging is like whether it's swimming or gymnastics or something, each judge may see something different. And obviously neither one of us are pros, but we're still judged in a competition. Right. And the panel will be four or five or six people. How come this guy gave me a one and this guy gave me a Mm -hmm. 10? How come this person gave me a three and this person gave me a nine? You're like, it makes no sense. But that's, for me, is the Mm -hmm. biggest challenge because it's subjective scoring. Right. Even though they're kind of looking for certain things, the judging, and again, I'm not a professional. I don't do this for money. But if I'm going to compete in something, I want it to be somewhat fair and it's never really yeah. going to be fair. But whatever. I get to j- dance with pretty ladies, mm-hmm. great music, meet cool people, travel mm-hmm. all over the world. And it's like, how bad can it be? Yeah. And a guy's not punching me in the face. Yeah. So it's pretty exactly. good, right?
2: <laughs> I was uh, explaining this to some people because you know they're like, oh, you're ultra competitive. Like uh, the first two events this year, I didn't make finals. And I mean, it ruined my weekend. And And that's what I was really having the problem with was the subjectiveness of it. I'm like, how do I get you know, a yes from this person, yes from this person, no from this person, or how do I score two ones and then a 12 and an eight in the same dance? And, uh, I think that's the same thing as like, that's the problem I've had with it. It'd be like if, uh, I said, okay, rain, go ahead. Do an arm bar. Okay, cool. Michael do an arm bar. Okay, cool. Now I'm going to judge you on who did it the best. Right. That's like well, what are you looking for? Like what kind of armbar? Like you right. know? what kind of setup? What kind yeah. of transition?
0: How exactly. about the finish and blah blah blah? That that does make it really so challenging. Tough. Yeah, so that's why the competition thing about it, it makes it nice because it's really kind of a personal challenge. You know, my goal is to make finals. What happens in finals, you are randomly placed with a partner that you may know the person, you may not know the person. You may know the song, you may not know the song. Yeah. And it's either going to be magic or it's going to be a train wreck. Right. <laughs> because that's really, like it, um, Travis mentioned, um, time, work, teaming, or time timing, teamwork, and technique, that's how they judge you now together. Because individually, when you go through the different rounds, you're judged as an individual. But once you get to the finals, now mm-hmm. it's like you're with this person. Now you guys are judges as a team. And it could be a girl that you just had – who could have been your girlfriend last week and you guys got in a, <laughs> a knockdown, yeah. drag-out fight. Yeah. But now all of a sudden I saw that happen with, with – Mia, oh, yeah. yeah, she drew her ex boyfriend, oh, and the dance was magic, and it was a song that was really kind of meaningful, like "Let's not break up" or something. And People were <laughs> laughing that because
1: everybody him, knew
2: because the they huh? knew
0: the story. I bet you that's probably why the DJ did that.
2: Oh yeah, that's, I mean it was DJ just that's
0: awesome. cold blooded. It, right yeah. it, it was cold blooded, It was <laughs> cold blooded. But that's the magic of it too. When you see two people that you know come from a completely different background, we're getting ready to go to uh, end of the year. I'm going to go to Budapest. And compete so cool. in Budapest. Oh, wow. Yeah, I competed in Australia. So what do I do? I make it a dance vacation. We go and compete mm-hmm. and we go travel around. Like I made finals in Australia. I dance with a girl from Australia. I have never said two words to this girl before we stepped out on the floor. Yeah. You know, and that's you know,
1: that is so much smarter than what I used to do. So I would do, go on uh, like triathlon vacations. And I'd go and do some ridiculous race. And then my wife would be like, all right, well, now we're going to spend the week walking. And I'm like, I can't walk. I can't walk. <laughs> I'm not moving. But you are so much smarter than me.
0: Well, hey, my wife, she's the one who sets it all up. And I just kind of, kind of go for the ride, which makes it awesome because to have like the way you get support from, from Sarah is I will show videos of me dancing with this incredibly beautiful woman mm-hmm. to my buddies at the fire station. And they asked the same question. Well, how long did you practice that? I go, dude, she's from China. I don't know yeah. who this girl is. I've never said a word to her, but my wife is back there screaming yeah. and yelling. They're like, Absolutely. well, what does your wife think about this? I go, dude, she's the one who's filming this.
1: Yeah, she's screaming and yelling, yelling encouragement. actually. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. But that's the amazing thing yeah, about cool. it is it's just it, People like people from the outside jujitsu, they don't get it. People yeah. from the outside of dance don't get it. I had a fire captain buddy of mine last year at Palm Springs. Um, we went out to dinner he came in with me and Brandy and his girlfriend to the ballroom at like three thirty or four o'clock in the morning and there were four hundred people dancing. Yeah. And he was like, What is this? Just no clue. And it's just a different world, but that's like a jujitsu world. Right? Yeah. It's just different. If you're in it, you get it. If you're not, you have no idea.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta get exposed to it. It's interesting. Right. That's cool. That's a well it's what a great hobby and outlet. I you know, I always think about the the different things that you know, look at firefighters as such a diverse group of people and they, there's, there's so many different ways that people express themselves in what they're doing and, you know, uh, hobbies, etc. And some guys skills would work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Different skill sets mm-hmm. that people yeah. bring in. Some of it comes from, you know, from before they got on the job and some of it's just something that they picked up while they were, mm-hmm. while they were, you know, during the course of their life, you know, as a, you know, as in their adult life. Yeah. Man, it's really pretty fascinating. You guys have, uh,
0: like, former professional athletes with yeah. you guys? Oh, yeah. yeah, we do. Yeah. I'm thinking about the training level that individual has been to. Yeah. You know, and then you hear a guy goes, yeah, I was successful in a high school baseball. You're like, dude, mm-hmm. this was a guy who played, per, you know, in the pros. It's mm-hmm. so a way different level.
2: Yeah. yeah no doubt. <laughs> I think we just got a former linebacker for the Cardinals, Shaughnessy. Oh. Yeah. So he just came on a couple recruit classes ago. Well, that's awesome. So that's pretty crazy. We so. had, a,
0: we had a guy a couple of years ago who was a big time. jujitsu guy was on the world team, won the world championships in Switzerland. I mean, this guy was wow. legit, legit guy. And, um, fortunately he had some bad things go wrong. So he's not a firefighter now. He's an attorney. Um, but when you Google his name, whatever, you can see all this guy's incredible accomplishments yeah. before he came on the job. I, I went to Florida and watched him fight in Bellator. Oh, wow. As a firefighter, this guy's fighting in Bellator. Wow. Yeah. Pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, we uh, we hired Jesse Forbes, and he was on The Ultimate Fighter and fought. Really? USC. Yeah. Awesome. He's actually a really good firefighter, too. Yeah, good paramedic.
0: We well, figure a guy... Like that's gonna have a work ethic. Oh yeah. I see a guy coming into my if yeah. my interviews. He's got he's got cauliflower ears. I'm like, I'm yeah, gonna need a good scoreboard to get scored, I don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Jesse's awesome. You're gonna TV. have a whole slew of guys punching themselves in the ear now <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in the parking lot before they. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to edit that out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it, it will. You know, it it does speak to you know when you look at somebody's hobbies and somebody's past, it does speak to what they're capable of or what they. What they have in them, as far as their work ethic and their right. their level of you know commitment to, uh, to honing their craft, or a craft, whatever it might be, you know, right. and you hope they bring that same level of enthusiasm and, and commitment to the job of being a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: you know, I think it all like we talked about it all parallels because as a firefighter, you're doing what you want to do to help people. You know, you're doing a lot of stuff independently, but you're also part of a team. Same with jujitsu, You're doing it for you, but you're also part of a team, Mm -hmm. right? The dancing thing, you might be on a dance team, I don't know, but you're really doing it for you to Mm -hmm. improve yourself. And everything, it makes you better and better and better and better. And the socialization of it, think about it. It's Mm -hmm. all big groups of socializing things. And um, I think just together, all of them just kind of run right next to each other.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, hey, speaking of, um, we were talking before the podcast about um, some of your background and, you know, talk about doing things that, um, uh, in addition to being a firefighter, some of the things that you do, uh, I know that you have a side business and I wanted you to tell me a little bit more about it. Cause I, you started to talk about it, but I don't, I don't fully know what you're doing and I want to hear more about it. So
0: it actually starts with a, um, former business partner. He was a firefighter for another agency back in California and he was in his eh, mid forties and he was just kind of like we talked about guy getting tired, dragging his butt, you know, and trying to still go to work. And he went to a a wellness clinic and the doctor said, well, welcome to being 40 plus and gave him his blood labs, whatever. And the guy said, no, that's, there's something else going on here. So he went to like an anti-aging clinic and they said, yes, you have this and this and this and this and this. Your first appointment is $1,500. And then we charge a thousand dollars a month and it's not covered by insurance. And the guy said, well, Hey, I'm just a, firefighter you know i have kids and a house payment and all this stuff i just can't seem to afford another thousand dollars a month right right now so they said well there's the door so he was a guy that i was doing that charity mma and grappling event with and he's a was a pretty savvy guy and we said well what if we kind of recreate that business and figure out a way to make it affordable for police fire military guys and he says well i know a doctor and i said well let's go let's do some research so He ended up getting in touch with a buddy of his who's a doctor. He was a big-name doctor. I started going to classes, not not bro science, but actual, you know, through A4M, which is the Society of Anti-Aging Longevity, and really going and finding out the science, really, of hormone replacement therapy, which is now really becoming more and more on the forefront um, because there's a lot of taboo things about it from Mm -hmm. back in the day, you know, roid rage and all those crazy things whatever. But um, I was just in Nashville over the weekend, And the International Association of Firefighters has finally gotten on board. We started this business seven years ago. I separated from my business partner. We went our own way. And I took all the patients and staff and opened up a new business, a little bit different business model. We changed the name of it to Conejo Valley Advanced Wellness, which is where I live out in the Conejo Valley. Um, And we're constantly learning, constantly learning, a lot of updating things. But the International Association of Firefighters did a whole presentation on low testosterone and men and it shows all the correlations of our job from stress lack of sleep diet no exercise because we're exhausted what it actually does to your body physiologically not just mentally but physiologically and so we first started originally for police fire military it had it had nine one one in the name you know and it was but we changed it and we opened it up to moms and dads and all sorts of people so we have celebrities that come to us we have police officers and firefighters and moms and dads and coaches and lots of jujitsu guys, yeah. lots of jujitsu guys. Coming.
1: Well, so let me ask you, what's the, you know, what would drive a guy toward that? I mean, it's one thing to be, so I'm what, how old am I? 48. That's the first <laughs> problem. The fact that I There's don't remember that. Yeah, that's the first um, thing. So I get probably less than five hours of sleep every night. I, you know, whether I'm at work or not, I don't sleep that great. I, you know, I'm training and trying to work on my days off and do all kinds of stuff, right? Trying to stay busy, trying to stay fit. And, um, I, you know, what, what I feel like, you know, just to put my own self on the table here is like the, uh, I just exhausted all the time, yeah. right? So I'm not, I don't ever wake up refreshed. I don't right. feel like I got a good night's sleep. And, um, you know, I try to eat healthy, but when you're fatigued, you just like go for the carbs, right? Yeah. Right. It's right. hard to stay, uh, it's hard to stay in the game when it comes to that, and I'm wondering. I, you know, I've always had this thought. I've never gone and got tested, but I think, hey, man, there's what is that? Is there a window of time where you're starting to break over, where you should be thinking about hormone replacement? You know, is it obviously the obviously the stress, the physiological stress of sleep deprivation, all that kind of stuff has its toll. But what are some of the other you know things that? people should be looking for that i should be looking for
0: uh it's it's really varied um we'll we'll just focus on men um sexual dysfunction erectile dysfunction lack of focus drive motivation loss of muscle mass weight gain around the around the hips poor sleep um and just kind of that overall drive and that zest so Mm. guys after about 30 35 ish but actually now it can happen a lot earlier too because men Testosterone level now in men is 50% lower than it was 50 years ago. And that comes down to um, environmental, you know, the food, the water, the lifestyle, alcohol, smoking, drinking, the food we eat, the stress we have on our bodies. Think about what it was like in the, you know, in the 40s and 50s. Uh, no communications, no this and that. So there, was le- there were less things to worry about, even though we had World War II going on. That was big, but it was a different mindset. So now as men trying to do so many different things... You really start burning that candle at both ends, right. and the way your body works physiologically is you start decreasing that testosterone level, which is the obviously the the male majority hormone, the one that's responsible for our for our machismo, or whatever. But women have testosterone too, um, and so guys start wondering: there's, why is it around forty or forty five? Guys, we remember the term uh, midlife crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that actually I've had, heard of this. Yes. <laughs> so that actually has like a diagnosis called, uh, irritability males, male irritability syndrome. Oh, so guys that. get rid of their <laughs> cars, right? So guys get rid of their cars and they buy a Porsche and they get rid of their wife and they get a girlfriend now who's 25 instead of a, their wife, whatever, because a guy is trying to do whatever he can to feel young and have that virility. Hmm. I, I drive a Honda. Sorry. I still got the same wife who, you know, I love dearly. Um, so there's a difference of guys who walk around and they feel that confidence. They don't have to have the external stuff to feel that way as opposed to the guy that's trying to figure out why don't I feel as good as I did when I was 25 or 30. And that's a big that's a big thing that happens. So um, guys come to us feeling all those things that we talked about, and we basically break the stigma of hormone replacement therapy and now the international association of firefighters they've actually gone on there um, after they did that big symposium they can see how it affects your body through your entire career i've actually talked to guys off the shelf of suicide i've talked to guys about about depression so we do a lot of prevention of both of those things because what does a doctor do you come in with a depression issue what does a doctor do for you they Richards, give you medicine, yeah, hey? Say pills. Yeah. take Xanax, take Prozac, me. whatever. Yeah. They're not addressing the root cause of what the problem is. Mm-hmm. So we can take a guy, come in, look at his labs, total endocrine system, and see, look, you're tired. You have high cortisol. You have high estrogen. You have low testosterone. Your pituitary gland is functioning horribly. And we get them dialed in, and most guys start feeling like feeling a change around week five or six, in about eight weeks, we'll draw their bloods again. And the change in male patients from week one to week eight, it's a normally a different person. So your testosterone doesn't drop off like a cliff. It slowly decreases over the years. That makes sense. So in order to minimize any potential side effects, that's how we dose you back up. We do a thing that's called micro dosing. We physiologically match what your body is supposed to be doing, and we go against a lot of the old school rules that people think, oh, I go to my doctor once a month and get a shot. The problem is the medication only lasts in your body for a very short time. So you take that one shot and you feel great for 36 hours. Now you're back down. Great, 36 hours back. So it's a a problem. The way we dose our patients is they take all their medications, they take everything with them. Cause what if a guy does go to work and he's at work for a bunch of days or he's at a brush fire or he wants to travel for weeks. I say I like to make our patients educated and independent. So you only have to come see us when you need a blood draw or when you want to visit the doctor or you want to do IV nutrition or something. But the hormone replacement therapy, you are educated and you are taught how to do all these things yourselves. So it makes it really, really convenient, especially for firefighters.
1: Yeah. Is, it, is, like, is it
0: like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I okay.
2: was just wondering what the microdosing was. Like, how, like, what do you start them on? Just like usually five like CC. Uh,
0: we go usually 0.10 ML. So it's okay. like 20 milligrams a day because sure. your body's supposed to produce anywhere from three to seven or eight milligrams per day. So by doing the microdosing, we will slowly raise them, raise them, raise them. And if they do have a potential side effect, It can't happen because everybody has a ceiling. And remember the term roid rage? Uh That was like big in the 80s and 90s. What that really was, that was unchecked estrogen. So when you take that big globular shot of testosterone, 200 milligrams, let's say your ceiling is right here, and I'm trying to push that testosterone through, it's not going to go any higher than this. It's going to either convert it to cholesterol or to estrogen. Mm -hmm. So when you get a guy that's taking all sorts of junk, and his level is right here, but he's taking all this stuff, now it's going to convert it over to estrogen. You've got a three hundred pound crazy woman running around <laughs> because because you know it's a guy, but he's just taking more and more and more and more. And what we do is by doing the micro dosing is we keep you below that level. So if there's any potential of a negative side effect, we just dip that dosing back down. So instead of starting you on a protocol where you have to take a medication for this, that we start our term in the fire department is we take fittings away. We don't add fittings. Do you guys have that saying? So like for a hose mm-hmm. lay. We want to use less fittings and more fittings. It's just a thing we have. Okay. So I've kind of adopted it to our, to our businesses. We want to give you less medications than more medications for the same result.
1: Makes sense.
0: Right. And that's what we do with the, with the testosterone therapy is we try to keep a guy below that level so he doesn't have to take another medication to keep from aromatizing or take converting that testosterone estrogen. So we keep below that. Um, our doctor, um, who's the medical director has been a doctor since 1967. He's been on the block many, many times. He's done cancer and cardiac and OBGYN and written like 22 books on health and nutrition. Um, he you know, was one of the really kind of one of the founding, founding fathers of hormonal replacement therapy. He was doing it back in the 70s. So we have a lot a lot of years of experience. My wife, she is called a senior anti-aging counselor. She helps the women patients. My title there is senior anti-aging counselor, and I help with the male patients. Um, the biggest thing is, is the stigma when yeah. you get a police officer, or firefighter, what do they ask? Hey, is this legal? Right. You know, they want to know, is it legal? Uh, is well, it par- is it? Absolutely. It is. Yeah. It. If it's Cal, well, number one, it's California. That's the biggest thing. Um,
1: well, so that's a good question though. It legitimately is, does that vary state to state?
0: Um, it really depends on your employer. So. When you do most departments, police, fire, military, any job, they're going to te- test you for opioids, cannabinoids, illegal substances. Mm-hmm. We are giving you something that is bioidentical, which means molecule per molecule, your body recognizes it as you made it yourself. We don't do anything synthetic, nothing for dogs and cats and stuff like that. So we're just raising a guy's level to a physiological norm. That's about, it's about 75% of a 25 year old male. If you're 52 or 50, I have a couple of guys that are um, in their 70s. They've been on testosterone therapy over 40 years. And one guy just retired about five years ago from the sheriff's department by us. That's a badass dude. You know, you look at his labs and his labs look like he's 35 years old. That's kind of a joke. I go, hey, who put that 75-year-old face on this (laughs) 35-year-old lab? But he's a a bad dude, you know. Um, But he's health-minded and that's the message we're trying to send to firefighters that it's not just being tired it's you have to address that root cause of why is that and again that whole thing with the IFF is just a huge eye opener kind of like mental health it's becoming more mainstream for people to see yeah it's a real thing
1: right we have to be mindful of the root cause and people need to look at their whole body and you know like for me I go okay well what's one of the things I don't do well I don't do, I don't have good, uh, sleep hygiene, right? So I'm not going to bed reasonable hours. I stay up too late. I get caught up in stuff and I don't go to bed. And so that's a bad habit. I got to clean that up, right? Like, and then once I've kind of, I feel like once I've cleaned those things up, then you can start looking at the, you know, some of the other elements. But, you know, when you look at age and you say, well, is, is, you know, their potential for low T. Yeah, well, it's something to consider because mm-hmm. it's something that happens to men over a certain period of time, a certain age, or what have you. Right.
0: Some men younger. Um, I have a a patient who is in his um, late twenties came in. We drew his labs, and his labs. I mean, his lab results were through the floor. Mm-hmm. And this was a guy that lived a pretty healthy lifestyle, exercised, this that, non smoker, non drinker. I'm like, dude, and I started asking all the the negative questions. Right? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Does this happen hereditary-wise in your family? Are, do, are you getting any, uh, you know, are you taking any medication? Because a lot of things will suppress your endocrine system. Hmm. So smoking weed, right? Alcohol, regular smoking tobacco. Um, a big one that really suppresses it is someone has high cholesterol. So what does a doctor do if you have high cholesterol? Here, take this statin medication, yeah. right? So it's synthetic, jacks with your liver, does all sorts of stuff. So there's kind of a chain, and I, I give this to patients. Actually, there's a guy who I'll... Introduce you to, you know him probably, who is a patient of ours from out of state. He's a dancer guy. He's 62 years old. He had high blood pressure, high cholesterol, low testosterone. But what does his doctor do? Puts him on blood pressure medication, puts him on a cholesterol medication. Doesn't address the testosterone. I sat him down. He's been asking me for probably three years about our program. Well, now he's not on cholesterol medication. He's not on blood pressure medication. He's on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. um, And he lives in another state from me. So what we do is we address the root cause and people say, well, how does that affect that cholesterol without getting too sciency cholesterol is a mother hormone off of cholesterol comes DHEA, pregnenolone, testosterone, and estrogen. You have high cholesterol in his case, because the rest of your endocrine system, mainly your testosterone is low. So your body is holding on to that mother hormone. But now the doctor gives you the statin medication, which is going to further suppress your endocrine system, but keep your cholesterol in check. So all we did was we raised his testosterone level. And what happened to the cholesterol? It yeah. fell off. Mm-hmm. But a regular doctor won't do that. They're just going to write a script and say, take this medication. So uh, you'll meet him over the weekend. Yeah. And when he told me that, I was like, it's true. It works. It works. Because I've explained this to patients and explained it to him. And he said, I don't know how it's going to work. And after, I think he's been with us now for probably maybe a year. Mm-hmm. And he told, when he told me that, I had like a little tear in my eye. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's amazing. But it really works. You know, yeah. and that's when you explain yeah. to somebody, and I got a patient for life now. You know, now he's trying to tr- try to get me to open a, uh, an office in Utah.
1: <laughs>
2: nice.
0: <laughs> I got all those little laws there in Utah because I have to find out.
1: So nice. Well, you see, spaces from time to time, not not in the recent history, but you know, they they criminalized and villainize guys who are you know trying to yeah. walk out of a place with a brown bag and you know run to their truck <laughs> right. or whatever, right. and you're like, what are they doing? And they make a big deal about it. And, and you know, again, we probably have to address you know what is the local law, right? Um, yeah. on so that stuff. And I think it matters. You need to look at your jurisdiction and look at you know what your organization mm-hmm. will and or won't support, and and what your you know state and local laws are.
0: Well, first of all, to, to open up an office anywhere where it's the fancy word for hormone, hormone replacement therapy is interventional endocrinology. So that's the fancy word for hormone replacement. Any doctor can prescribe you any medication. Mm-hmm. There's actually a number of milligrams per week they can give you where it's considered anabolic dosing or it's considered uh, replacement dosing. So without getting too technical again. We keep our patients below that so that way there's no questions. You now the guy comes in, what if he's had um, a testicular cancer or he has no testicles or whatever because he had some medical condition? We have a few patients like that. You're going to have to obviously dose that guy different, but it's all based on medical need for the patient. Right. And the old school thought process um, for a lot of doctor's offices, they dose differently. Because let's face it, unfortunately, a lot of doctors, it's kind of like Botox. A dentist can do Botox. You know, who's going to go to their dentist for Botox? They're going to want to go to somebody who practices specifically that type of medication or whatever it is. Same with like our doctor. Our doctor, he specializes on all these things where there are a lot of doctors. When I go to these symposiums, I have a guy who might be a pain management guy or a guy who is a, I actually had a patient who did, um, Uh, He was a vascular neurosurgeon. I actually met him on a cruise. He lived in Arizona, and he became one of my patients because he had no clue about hormone replacement therapy. And I sat and talked to him. He looked at his own labs. He's like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. No discredit to him, but interventional endocrinology was not his specialty. Vascular neurosurgery was his specialty. Mm -hmm. So the whole stigma of it being brokenness and legality, it is a class three controlled medication written with a prescription, is legal in every state. Now, if you have more than X amount too much, then it can be considered illegal or for resale. So we deal with a couple of different pharmacies, and you know we obviously know how bad the opioid crisis is. That's without even a question. A patient that goes from pharmacy A to B to C to D, whatever, and then it's sold out in the street, whatever, that's a bad deal. My patients, they cannot get refills, until the appropriate time. I actually make them sign a form when they come in. It's an agreement I have with the doctor as well as the pharmacy that says, I, Joe Blow, put your name in here, have been instructed by Conejo Valley Advanced Wellness how to properly administer my injectable medications. I understand that any improper dosing, and I put overdosing, will cause me to run out of my medication too soon and I will not be eligible for refill until the next appropriate date. And I make them sign it. So I've had... a lot of experience doing this business people doing some shady stuff oh i dropped my bottle oh the bottle was half full it's like no 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 no. it's the pharmacy they look and they say joe because when they dose especially microdosing, makes it easier i can look at a at a 10 ml vial and say your dose is 0.10 daily this will last you a hundred days i write it on the thing he approves it i give him a copy well in 50 days he calls up and goes hey uh I'm out of medication and I look, I go, gosh, that seems really quick. Go up and go to the computer to our electronic medical records. I'm like, nope. Call the guy back. Hey, um, come in and show me how you're dosing. Oh, this is how I'm dosing. No, the guy's dosing too much. And that's why I have them go through that thing and sign it because the patient has to be held accountable because the doctor's office and the pharmacy is going to say, sorry, I can't refill it because you're not due for that next, that next, um, and refill, Um, so as far as the legality of it, we do everything, especially in California, you know how, how regulated everything is there. We have to do everything above board. And guys ask in the police fire, you know, is it legal? There's nothing illegal about it. Your employer, first of all, they don't test for that because the dude that run the test is crazy expensive. They're going to test you if they're going to test you for illegal narcotics. They're not going to test you for testosterone use. And again, We keep ours at a physiological norm where it should be, where we're not doing crazy numbers. Everything is always for the longevity, the prevention of disease, as well as uh, the safety of the patient.
1: Cool. So what's the, say somebody is, you know, exhibiting all these symptoms that we've talked about. What's the step that, you know, they need to take?
0: Um, they, Well, if we're talking about my clinic, my, my wellness center, they call up, they make an appointment, they fast for 10 to 12 hours, they get their bloods drawn and we have about a seven or eight page panel that checks the entire endocrine system as well as all your bloods, um, get that done, come back to the office. We do in-office phlebotomy makes it kind of nice. We do the blood draws there, or we can send them to another lab, get their labs drawn. They come back, sit with a doctor. Well... They first sit with a doctor and have the discussion of what the issues are. Doctor writes a script for the labs. They go, they get the bloods done. Then they come back and they have about an hour meeting with the doctor and they go over every number, every every number. And after that, then they sit with me and I talk about all the programs that we have available. And I I kind of talk in normal people terms because mm-hmm. the doctor he is think about it, the guy's been a doctor since you know Jesus was a carpenter if I can say that on <laughs> right I mean, he's a doctor been a doctor a long time seen a lot of patients um, I really put it down to nuts and bolts of how it works, how this works, how this is. And when I'm done, I, my quote sales question is, so what do you want to do? That's it. And I have two types of patients, guys that get it and guys that don't get it. And if a guy waffles, I say, okay, well, um, I guess we're just, that's fine. It's just not for you. And I start closing it up because I don't have a sales pitch. I am not a sales guy. I'm an educator. And if a guy, once I tell him everything and, he gets it. It's the, it's as easy as, as you know selling ice cream to a kid. They want it. They need it. They know they want it. If I have to try to convince somebody, I don't want them as a patient because they probably won't be compliant on their medication. They're probably not going to do what they're supposed to be doing, and they're probably not going to get results, which in the end makes my business not look good. Right. I have guys that have been with me since day one that have made incredible changes. And I have guys with me since we opened up our new office. Incredible changes in their bodies. You know, not just physically how they look, but again, the physiological portion of it because it's about anti-aging longevity and the prevention of disease, which is huge. Um, reducing heart attack and stroke and all these other things. So guys get it or they don't get it. And my job is just to educate. So, what makes my job really easy and fun.
1: So what can somebody go to... Uh to specifically get information about your guys' clinic and maybe get some educational materials or what have you? So we are called Conejo Valley Advanced
0: Wellness, and if they go to um we have all sorts of educational information on there, um, a lot of blogs, a lot of questions that we've done written on there. There's also – I did an interview uh, about a year ago with another guy asking a lot of these questions, and whenever a patient – calls me and they're not sure whether they want they want to come in i always send them to our website and it's under the learn more tab and they can watch it's a 30 minute podcast uh, a guy asking me a lot of questions and i almost felt like i was sitting with another patient because he was asking me questions like if he was a patient and it was really really neat um what we work with both men and women and it's great as a couple to come in because if the guy gets optimized and the woman doesn't, there can be challenges. Or if the woman gets optimized and the guy doesn't, there can be challenges. We have a couple of couples that have come in and really have gotten optimized together. They're back to like they were high school. i use the example of, um, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland where the she's chasing the guy around the thing like this. <laughs> that's what, it, they they basically become kids again and they feel great. So it's... Well, it's that neat. sounds
1: pretty impressive.
0: It's pretty awesome. Yeah. that's pretty
1: awesome. Cool, man. Well, I know that... Um, I know that folks are going to be interested in seeing that. So I will add, uh, I'll put some links at the, Beautiful. wherever I, uh, where the podcasts are located in, uh, in the, uh, the hell is it called? I don't the, know. the description, the comments, whatever. The click here now. Yeah. There's going to be links somewhere, so look for them. <laughs> yeah. and I'll put some links in there and you guys will see the links and direct, direct people to, to get some more information and, and uh, see your contact information they can.
0: Yeah, and we treat people out of state too, so we're... You know, however far this reaches, um, you can go to local pharmacy. We can send you a pharmacy that we like to utilize. Uh, my doctor will work in conjunction with their regular, um, primary care doctor, so we can make things work, you know, cross state lines. No problem.
2: Cool.
1: Sweet. Cool. I'm going to change on Travis. If, uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you for any reason, where would they go? Station 10. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any
2: cool, fancy websites. There's no spot on Instagram. No, people... you need to put I one mean, together for your videography. Yeah. Stuff. I have a YouTube, um, if you just look up that Ninja Trav, you can find my work that I've done there, uh, Instagram, um, and then Facebook as okay, well. This but is what
1: official. I will. I'm going to get you guys to give me some links uh, to some YouTube pages where you guys are. I want to see some dancing <laughs> and um, some jujitsu, <laughs> and um, absolutely, and some dancing
0: jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dance well, hey jiu-jitsu. man,
1: I, I can't thank you guys enough. It's been a pleasure to sit. Thanks down. for having it's us. Fun. This Thanks, is awesome.
0: Kat. Yeah, greatly appreciate it.
1: Right on. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Fireground Fitness Podcast today. Uh, special thanks go out to Michael Caro and Travis Schwarzlander, the two brothers who uh, took the time to sit down with me. Really appreciate the things they had to say. Great conversation about total wellness and things that we can do to support ourselves. Check out the Caneo Valley Advanced Wellness uh, website is you know, Check out the show notes you're going to see some links to all these different things that we talked about get out there and find ways to make yourself better whether it be through jiu-jitsu whether it be through dancing but every day that you come to work every day that you get up in the morning get your feet on the ground and figure out what you're going to do that day to make yourself better at whatever it is you choose to do get out there get some